I call it extreme, extreme vetting. Maybe you should try some of that yourself, Mr. Trump. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Mm. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. Up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. And in upstate New York, Palinville, New York, 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on the great AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internet tubes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Five days a week blanketing planet Earth. You can run, you might want to, but you can't hide. This is your Bradcast. Welcome to it. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Well, remember a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of iterations of Donald Trump's immigration policy ago. Uh, remember when he was talking about the solution, the solution that what he was going to do, which was totally different. From the Obama administration, uh, the the Obama-Clinton administration, as they like to call it. Uh, re- remember what he was going to do that was going to be totally different from what is being done now. Re- remember when you're uh, uh, these uh, refugees from these war-torn areas uh, in the Middle East, when they want to come here, they've got to go through a procedure, a vetting procedure that essentially takes anywhere from 18 months to two years to get them into the country. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's pretty well extreme. But as Donald Trump sees it, because Donald Trump only sees what he wants to see, he doesn't understand what he doesn't want to understand, uh, to Donald Trump, people are just streaming. Those refugees, those immigrants are just streaming into the country uh, by the millions with nobody even uh, checking them for a, a driver's license on the way in the door. So his big plan, what he was going to do, which is totally different from the uh, Obama administration, was something that he called extreme, extreme vetting. The time is overdue to develop a new screening test for the threats we face today. I call it extreme vetting. I call it extreme, extreme 
vetting. Extreme vetting. Not just extreme vetting, but extreme vetting. He was going to super, I mean, really, I don't know, you know he was going to waterboard them on the way in. Completely unclear, but it was going to be extreme. It is going to be extreme. As a matter of fact, if he gets elected, that's what he will do. That will be his, his plan to keep us safe. And of course, we know that he knows how to do that because he is a great businessman. We know this because he's told uh, told us so himself over and over again. And in fact, uh, he's uh, such a great businessman that he hires only the greatest people. Well, you may recall uh, Trump's first campaign manager, a guy by the name of Corey Lewandowski. He was dismissed uh, not long after the campaign uh, had defended him for roughing up a reporter from Breitbart News, uh, a female reporter from Breitbart News. Uh, Corey Lewandowski sort of sort of kept her, grabbed her by the wrist, threw her out of the way uh, because she was had the temerity to try and ask Donald Trump some questions. Well, the charges against Lewandowski in that matter were eventually dropped, despite. Uh, the the incident being caught on camera uh, and as uh, Trump's poll numbers flagged, Lewandowski was eventually let go and he was replaced by a guy named Paul Manafort. So Lewandowski was out for roughing up that reporter from Breitbart News, not for that, but for that and for the, uh, uh, the the polls dropping and everything else. And in came Paul Manafort. So Corey Lewandowski was fired. Paul Manafort came in. Now, as you know, Paul Manafort himself was recently also fired by the uh, by the Trump campaign after it turned out that Paul Manafort had undisclosed dealings with pro-Russian politicians in Ukraine and may have been receiving millions in cash payments from them, uh, as uh, shown in, in some documents that were found uh, in Ukraine. Allegedly. Now, there's nothing illegal, by the way, about uh, taking those huge cash payments from Ukraine as he was uh, working there on campaigns. Paul Manafort was uh, nothing illegal about it in general, so long as the uh, as long as he properly reported the income for tax purposes, which is unclear if he did or not. And more importantly, in a political sense here. Paul, it's it's not illegal as long as he properly registered in the U.S. as a foreign agent while doing that work, uh, which he appears not to have done. Now, there's also nothing wrong, by the way, with not registering as a foreign agent so long as Paul Manafort didn't attempt to influence U.S. politics while he was working as that foreign agent. Well... Not long after uh, the AP recently found evidence that Paul Manafort had, in fact, been working with a number of lobbying groups trying to influence U.S. policy concerning Ukraine. And again, with Donald Trump's poll numbers still continuing to flag, Paul Manafort was also eventually let go. Now, Trump may be calling for extreme vetting, including an ideological screening test to keep us safe from dangerous Muslimy immigrants. And uh, and again, as I said, we know he's a great businessman. He only hires the best people. He says that over and over and over again. He tells us so himself. How could it not be true? But as it turns out, his track record for campaign hires 
uh, is not actually bearing that out. It's not actually turning out that he's uh, such a great businessman that he knows how to hire only the best people or that he even has any idea what vetting, extreme or otherwise, actually is. Which brings us... To just last week and Paul Manafort's effective uh, replacement by two, two different new uh, uh, top Trump staffers, Kellyanne Conway. She's a, a veteran GOP pollster. She's a longtime Fox News analyst and a contributor. Uh, she was named as campaign manager. And a guy by the name of Steve Bannon, who had been the executive director, I'm sorry, the executive editor of the far right wing website Breitbart.com. Uh, Steve Bannon was named as the campaign CEO, chief executive, campaign CEO. Now, there's nothing, there's no actual campaign position called CEO, at least in anybody else's campaigns. But that's what they came up with at the Trump campaign to bring on both Bannon and Kellyanne Conway at the same time. She'd be the campaign manager. Steve Bannon would be the CEO. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Steve Bannon, the CEO of the Donald J. Trump for president campaign and Hillary Clinton in her speech in Reno, Nevada, uh, spoke about the hire, spoke about uh, Breitbart.com and the, which uh, Bannon had headed and spoke about the type of right wing site that it was a proud white nationalist. They what does it call it? A patriotic nationalist site. Uh, that's Breitbart.com. Well, now it seems uh, again after losing, uh, after firing Corey uh, Lewandowski as the campaign chief, after firing Paul Manafort as the campaign chief. Well, now it seems that uh, Donald Trump's great uh, hiring acumen and his claims of knowing how to extremely vet uh, appears to have failed again. This from the uh, here's the New York Times telling of this uh, today. The recent appointment of Stephen K. Bannon, the right wing media mogul as chief executive of Donald J. Trump's campaign, was part of an effort to reset a candidacy that had stumbled with minority and female voters and suffered from controversies surrounding high level campaign officials. But Mr. Bannon brings to the post his own bumpy background that includes misdemeanor charges of domestic violence and allegations that he threatened his then-wife, the accuser, with retribution if she testified in the criminal case. This, according to a police report of the incident and court records that were obtained by the New York Times and reported today. The charges against Bannon date back two decades to the end of a, a troubled marriage in Santa Monica, California, when Mr. Bannon's wife, Mary Louise Picard claimed that he had attacked her at their home. He was charged. He was charged in February 1996 with domestic violence, battery, and attempting to dissuade a victim from reporting a crime. So Donald Trump has just uh, just hired someone with a record of being charged, at least, uh, being charged with domestic violence, battery, and attempting to dissuade a victim from reporting a crime. And uh, the vetting process, the extreme vetting process that the great businessman Donald Trump apparently went through before hiring Bannon, well, apparently it doesn't seem to have existed because did he know about this? Did he know about that he was hiring uh, someone who was charged with domestic violence and battery? Did he know about that and hired them anyway? Uh, maybe. The case against Bannon was dropped, and this is this almost makes it worse uh, 
<laughs> then, uh, then, you know, then being charged in the first place. The case was dropped when Ms. Picard did not show up in court. In court records, Ms. Picard later claimed that Mr. Bannon instructed her to leave town to avoid testifying. Bannon, she said, had told her, quote, if I went to court, he and his attorney would make sure that I would be the one who was guilty, unquote. So they threatened a witness uh, uh, the victim in this domestic violence case. Bannon's lawyer, she said, quote, threatened me, telling uh, telling her that if Mr. Bannon went to jail, she, quote, would have no money and no way to support the children. Ms. Picard said that she complied and uh, fleeing with the two children she shares with Mr. Bannon until his attorney phoned me and told me I could come back, unquote. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. Uh, just uh, uh, so, you know, and, and we see this a lot in with in domestic uh, violence cases. The victim, the wife, uh, you know, is concerned that if she testifies against her husband, her husband could go to jail. If the husband is the breadwinner, she's going to be out of luck. She's gonna, not going to you know, be able to support herself and the children. And in this case, uh, we have a testimony in court documents that that's exactly what happened by the guy who is now running Donald Trump's campaign. Now, Bannon, uh, according to The Times, pleaded not guilty. He declined to be interviewed by The New York Times for this story, asked whether uh, Ms. Picard's description of the attack and the threat were true. His spokeswoman, Alexandra Priate, declined to respond. She added that Mr. Bannon, uh, quote, has quote, a great relationship with his ex-wife and their daughters. Okay. Mr. Bannon's lawyer, uh, Stephen Mandel, said in an interview that he called Ms. Picard while she was out of town to inform her that the case had been dismissed, but he denied pressuring her not to testify. He said, and this is Bannon's lawyer, he said, it's possible that Steve Bannon said that to her, but I did not. Ms. Picard did not respond to messages left with her lawyer and a relative, according to The New York Times. Uh, as chairman of the Breitbart News website, The Times reports Bannon had been viewed as a conservative provocateur, making incendiary comments on a range of topics. He has called Gretchen Carlson's sexual harassment case against former Fox News chairman Roger Ailes a, quote, total dud. And he claimed the existence of a, quote, militant feminist legal wrecking crew. I guess that militant feminist legal wrecking crew includes uh, includes his former wife and maybe another former wife. We'll get to that in in a moment. But uh, here's uh, the details according to the police. So, yeah, uh, you know, he was not found uh, guilty. The case was dismissed because the witness could not be reached. The witness being his wife in this case could not be reached. Uh, you know, there is such a thing as appearance of impropriety, whether uh, he did it or not. You might think that someone running a presidential campaign may not want someone on the campaign who was even accused of domestic violence battery and attempting to dissuade a victim from reporting a crime. But according to the police report, uh, this uh, incident that led to these charges happened on New Year's Day in 1996 when uh, Ms. Picard, Steve Bannon's wife at the time, called 911 
from the uh, Santa Monica home that they shared together out here in California. They shared with uh, together with their infant twin daughters. <laughs> Police arrived at the time to find that uh, uh, Ms. Picard was visibly upset. She had red marks on her neck and her wrist. According to the police report, she told the police that Bannon had spent the previous night sleeping on the sofa. The next morning, she said the noise she made feeding their daughters and his refusal to provide a credit card for grocery shopping started a fight that spilled into the dry onto the driveway. Bannon attempted to leave in his car. Ms. Picard apparently spat on him, according to the police report. That's when Mr. Bannon became aggressive. She told police he grabbed her wrist and her neck. He grabbed her neck. He pulled her down uh, as if he was trying to pull her into the car over the door, the report says. She said she struck back until she was able to break free and run into the house with Mr. Bannon then in pursuit. When Ms. Picard picked up the phone and dialed police, Bannon grabbed it from her hands and threw it across the room, shattering it into pieces. When the police arrived, Bannon was gone, but uh, Ms. Picard told police that she and Bannon had a turbulent six-and-a-half-year relationship. Early on, there were three or four, quote, arguments that became physical. So apparently this has happened before. Allegedly. Allegedly. And they had gone to counseling. She said the arguing uh, had continued, but that the violence had stopped until that day. Police photographed the marks on her neck and wrist, and they noted that the phone was in pieces. That broken phone was in pieces, according to the police report. Santa Monica City Attorney brought charges against Bannon, and he was served with a domestic violence protective order, according to the court records. But that August, when the case came to trial, prosecutors were forced to dismiss it because the victim, their main witness, his wife, was unable to be located, according to the records. Uh, by that point, Picard and Bannon were separated. She would soon file for divorce, you think. And uh, it was in those divorce documents, apparently, uh, in the divorce case, that the other comments about what happened and why she left and why she was not there, uh, why she couldn't be found when it came time to testify in that case, when all of that came to light. Uh, but remember... Uh, you know, Donald Trump, surely he knew about all of these things because he's great at hiring. He hires only the best people. And of course, he certainly before hiring them for such an important position, like running his entire campaign, would certainly have uh, have vetted their record to have found out stuff like this. I call it extreme vetting. I call it extreme, extreme vetting. Apparently, he didn't uh, call it extreme vetting when he hired Steve Bannon to run his campaign. Now, Ultraviolet, um, which is a, 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 an online group of uh, more than a million women and men who take collective action to expose and fight sexism in the public sector, in the private sector, and in the media. Uh, we had, I believe we uh, interviewed uh, someone, if I recall, from uh, uh, Ultraviolet back when we were trying to get accountability for this federal judge, guy by the name of Mark Fuller down in Alabama, who had beat the crap out of his wife. Uh, it was arrested for it, was uh, caught on nine uh, 911 uh, call 
having done it when uh, he was uh, essentially let off the hook with a slap on the wrist and was uh, keeping his job as a federal judge appointed by George W. Bush, an old friend of Karl Rove. Uh, and as we were trying to bring accountability for that guy who, yes, ultimately ended up resigning, uh, it took about a year, but we uh, finally uh, were able to hold him accountable and get him to resign. Uh, the folks at Ultraviolet were helpful in that fight as well. We covered it a lot on this program. They put out a statement today. Uh, Nita Chudhari, the co-founder of Ultraviolet Action the uh, National Women's Advocacy Organization said news that Donald Trump's campaign is being run by a man accused of domestic violence is troubling, but sadly not surprising. First, it was Corey Lewandowski who physically assaulted a female reporter. Then it was Roger Ailes, a, uh, a, a serial sexual predator, allegedly, alleged, according to some 20 women now at uh, Fox News. Uh, now, they say it is Steve Bannon. By surrounding himself with men like Lewandowski, Ailes, and Bannon, Trump is showing women and all voters exactly what kind of person he is and exactly what kind of president he'll be. As Senator Elizabeth Warren has said, per personnel is policy. The hiring and the standing by of men who have records of abusing women once again shows how unfit Donald Trump is to be president. That's according to the statement from Ultraviolet today. After the information about Steve Bannon <laughs> uh, being charged with domestic abuse. But remember, again, Trump is a great businessman. He only hires the very, very best people. And he wants to use extreme vetting to keep you safe from foreigners. Extreme, extreme vetting. So, yeah, he'll keep you safe from those uh, uh, those dangerous refugees flooding into our shores as he lies to the American people. But never mind the uh, never mind the wife abusers. They're hired. But there is, of course, even more to this story today. And frankly, while spousal abuse of any kind is horrific in Republican circles, uh, where there seems to be a lot of uh, that kind of abuse, uh, spousal abuse, that's, a, that's a, a minor crime compared to the one that they think is really, really tearing apart the very fabric of our democracy. Remember that? As uh, Senator John McCain said back in 2008 about the community organizing group ACORN, who were out there you know, uh, signing up, registering millions of low- and middle-income voters to participate in their own democracy. Senator John McCain charged that they were uh, tearing up the very fabric of our democracy, of course. Uh, that was when he was the Republican Party's presidential nominee back in 2008. And that was, of course, not long before we reported that John McCain had previously addressed the ACORN group at their national convention, telling them that they were, in fact, what makes America great. So these guys have a very difficult time keeping their stories straight, it seems. Nonetheless, spousal, spousal abuse... That ain't nothing. That ain't no that's nothing compared to what Republicans are really concerned about. And yes, once again, Stephen K. Bannon and Donald Trump come into this story as well with new revelations today. That story is next right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs>
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Yeah, it's one of those days. Some folks are born made to wave the flag. Ooh, they're red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And when the band plays, hail to the chief. Ooh, they want the cannon at you. Oh, it ain't me. It ain't me. It ain't me. Yep. I ain't no senator's son. Neither am I. Neither am I the son of a... Uh, uh, millionaire like Donald Trump. Man, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, this story concerning Steve Bannon gets worse, but to help tell you, uh, never mind the abuse, never mind the domestic abuse, that's nothing. That's as far as Republicans go. Back uh, Back in 2012, As we reported at the time at Bradblog.com in the run-up to that year's election, four separate staffers of Republican Congressman Thaddeus McCotter, a Republican uh, uh, congressman from Michigan, four different staffers were charged with a total of 12 felony and 24 misdemeanor election fraud charges. This was related to falsifying signatures uh, on on a petition to try and help uh, McCotter at the time qualify for the 2012 election. Now, McCotter, he had fancied himself. You probably never heard the name, but he had fancied himself at the time back in 2011, 2012 as a as a long shot presidential candidate at the time. But after this incident, he ended up leaving after these after his uh, top staffers were charged with 12 felonies, 24 misdemeanor election fraud charges. He ended up uh, not getting onto the ballot and basically leaving Congress in shame. That's how most election fraud happens. It's carried out by insiders with access to, you know, the various insider processes, whether it's, uh, you know, counting election uh, results programming uh, voting machines, deciding who's going to be on the voting rolls and who is not. In this case, uh, scamming up some of these uh, uh, petitions that McCotter would have needed to get on the ballot. Insiders with access to insider processes who try and scam the system in one way or another. Election fraud is not usually voter fraud. And that's how Republicans always describe. They always talk about voter fraud. They rarely talk about election fraud. The voters, by and large, as I've said for years and years, the voters are doing fine. Leave them alone. It's not voter fraud we have to worry about. It is election fraud, usually insider election fraud. Now, yes, there is voter fraud. It just doesn't usually happen. Uh, At least almost never. In fact, the way it almost never at all, ever, ever happens the way that Republicans pretend that it happens. The way they pretend that we have this massive voter fraud problem going on in the U.S., specifically Democrats, uh, specifically 
certain Democrats, you know what I'm saying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, in, you know, uh, from the inner cities and uh, the people who aren't quite as white as you and I. They pretend, uh, the Republicans do, that voters are going to the polls, they're lining up for hours, and then they're voting in the names of other people once. And then they get back in line, I guess, in another few hours, and then they vote again. Now, that almost never happens. And yet, that's the only type of voter fraud that the Republican Party pretends to be concerned about. So that they can, of course, pass laws to try to keep those certain people from voting at the polls at all through photo ID restrictions that, uh, you know, only affect uh, people at the polling place. They don't have put the same type of photo ID restrictions on absentee voters where Republicans tend to vote. Uh, disproportionately white Republicans who, who tend to use absentee. They don't have to uh, jump over those hurdles to, to cast their absentee vote. But uh, at the polling place where some 20 to 30 million Americans do not have the type, the very, very narrow specific type of photo ID that is, is required by these Republican laws where they're passing them across the country, uh, those disproportionately affect minorities. Minority voters, African-Americans, Hispanics, students, elderly voters, voters who disproportionately just happen to vote for Democrats. We talked about it all. We talk about it all the time on this program because we're fighting like hell for millions of Americans to be able to exercise their right to vote no matter who it is they wish to vote for, including if they wish to vote for Donald Trump. But uh, that's the uh, that's the type of fraud that Republicans pretend is going on when really all, all they're trying to do is keep people from voting. They know that. Uh, but they're, uh, you know, dumbass readers at uh, Breitbart dot com uh, don't know that because they scam those folks over there. And Breitbart dot com has been one of the places that has been, you know, claiming there is massive voter fraud going on, that we must have these photo ID restrictions or else. Democrats will steal the election. But much more frequently, when it comes to you know actual voter fraud, it's absentee ballot fraud of various types. And these photo ID restrictions do nothing about absentee voter fraud, um, the intimidation that happens uh, through voter through absentee fraud, the uh, uh, selling one's vote through vote by mail and so forth. That's the way to scam the system if you're a voter. You're not going to get much out of it, uh, although, again, some of the insiders, the party insiders, are able to get something out of it if they can harvest these uh, absentee ballots, as is uh, frequently uh, found to be the case. But that's where that's really the only type of voter fraud that actually happens. Um and more frequently even than that, than that type of voter fraud, absentee voter fraud, uh, the question is voter registration fraud of one type or another. And that voter registration fraud can then lead to voter fraud. Now, I mentioned McCotter uh, in 2012 because uh, the fraud by his staff at that time, that was just one of the latest in a long series of GOP voter fraud uh, and election fraud, but specifically high-profile Republican voter fraud cases that I had been documenting at great length at bradblog.com and often in excruciating detail there. Uh, that was just one of the cases uh, that I was reporting, especially back in 2012, when more and more of these cases were coming out. Another case that came to light 
that same year was the apparent voter fraud of some guy named Mitt Romney. You might have heard of him. Does that name ring a bell for you, uh, Desi? Doing Mitt Romney? Uh, uh, remember remember being really bored. Yeah, but, but you remember being really bored by <laughs> Mitt Romney? Yeah. Bored by Mitt Romney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would love to be bored like that this year. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it appears that uh, Mitt Romney, as uh, as we detailed once again in great detail at bradblog.com, uh, back in January of 20, uh, 2010, during the special election in Massachusetts to fill the U.S. Senate seat uh, in Massachusetts, special election was called after Senator Ted Kennedy had recently died. So that election, January 2010, um, that briefly put Senator Scott Brown, Republican, into office in the Senate, taking uh, uh, what had been Ted Kennedy's seat. Scott Brown was later replaced by Senator Elizabeth Warren. But the election, uh, that election of Scott Brown, that almost ended up killing the Affordable Care Act's chances of being passed at all, Obamacare. It made it so that it barely the Democrats could barely get it out of Congress. It's certainly his death, Kennedy's death uh, and, and his replacement by a Republican certainly kept that bill from being a better bill than than the one that was eventually passed. Um, but for that election, Mitt Romney, who did not at the time in January 2010, he did not own a house in Massachusetts at the time. That, according to local residents in the town where his son lived, uh, Mitt Romney voted in Massachusetts in January of 2010. He, he did not own a house there. He owned a house in uh, out here in California. He owned a house, a vacation home up in New Hampshire, but he did not own a house in Massachusetts. He actually registered to vote in the basement of his son's house in Belmont, uh, Massachusetts. This millionaire, Mitt Romney, who owned all kinds of houses all over the place, uh, everywhere except for Massachusetts, he files in his son's unfinished basement uh, as his uh, as his address for purposes of voting back in January of 2010. Now, he uh, he did, in fact, uh, end up owning a house. He purchased a house uh, in July of 2010, six months later, in anticipation of another uh, presidential run in 2012. So he wanted to get back into Massachusetts where he had been the governor and, uh, you know, pretend to be from Massachusetts so he could pretend to call Massachusetts his home state, along with pretending to call Michigan his home state, pretending to call Utah his home state, pretending to call California and New Hampshire his home state that year. But uh, in fact, it was not his home state and he did not uh, have a residence in the state of Massachusetts when Mitt Romney voted there in 2010. Despite the fact that state law in Massachusetts defines residency as, quote, where a person dwells and which is the center of his domestic, social and civil life. Now, at the time, back in 2010, residents in uh, in in Belmont, Massachusetts, uh, had told Fred Carger, remember Fred? We've had him on the show many times. Uh, Republican, first openly uh, gay person to run for the uh, presidency for a major political party. He ran back in 2012. He was running against Mitt Romney, and he hates Mitt Romney. He hates Mitt Romney. He hates the Mormon church, largely because of the Mormon church's uh, attack on marriage equality. And uh, so Carger had investigated whether Mitt Romney had actually committed voter fraud. And he he talked to residents in Belmont, Massachusetts, 
Uh, and they all told Carger that neither Mitt Romney nor his wife had been seen in town since selling their mansion years earlier and moving out of the state. So, you know, according to uh, Massachusetts election law, what Mitt Romney did in January of 2010 was a very clear violation of election code, and it amounted to, yes, actual voter fraud or at least voter registration fraud when registering at a house where he did not actually live, which was actually he did not dwell there. It was not the center of his domestic, social and civil life. And then it, that voter registration fraud became actual voter fraud uh, when he voted using that false registration. So that was just one of many uh, high profile Republican election fraud, vote in this case, voter fraud cases that I was reporting on back in in 2012. Another one, famously, down in Florida, was that of Ann Coulter. Remember uh, Ann Coulter, who is a GOP superstar. She just put out a book this week called In Trump We Trust. She has been one of his biggest backers, at least she was, until he completely flip-flopped this week on his immigration policy. Now she's uh, furious, and maybe she doesn't trust him quite so much. But uh, as we documented in painful detail many years earlier at bradblog.com, in fact, which I won't bore you with today, which uh, Ann culture actually uh, we have the documents to to prove it she knowingly committed fraud in the state of Florida she knowingly committed voter fraud in the state of Florida when she voted uh, when she registered at someone else's residence and she voted in a uh, in a precinct that was in fact not her own down in Florida after she had uh, purchased a house down there in Palm Beach County uh, we spoke with the uh, supervisor of elections down there at the time who confirmed all of this we've got the documents showing her showing her attesting to uh, uh, getting a uh, voter registration and getting a driver's license using somebody's completely different address uh, and then going on to commit voter fraud. And she also uh, committed voter fraud, uh, apparently, uh, in the state of Connecticut because she was illegally, she was living in New York and illegally voting out of Connecticut. So I got all kinds of these things, all uh, one story after another. The Republican secretary of state of the state of Indiana Uh, who did the same thing, who voted out of a house in which he did not live. This is the Republican Indiana Secretary of State. Indiana was the first state to uh, put uh, photo ID restrictions into place. And then the Secretary of State, the chief election official in the state, came along and uh, committed, uh, what was it, uh, three different uh, voter fraud felonies for which he was uh, later found guilty and had to leave office. You can go to Brad Block and look all this stuff up. We got it. We got all the details. Uh, Newt Gingrich, Donald Trump's buddy, he did something similar. Uh, John Huntsman, who also ran for president, had registered in a house in Utah in which he did not live, and he was voting out of there. Uh, Senator Richard Lugar, Congressman Todd Akin. On and on and on the list goes, and yet Republicans continue to try to keep Democrats who are totally legally registered, who have committed no crimes, uh, from from being able to cast their vote. Well, well, guess what else we learned today about Donald Trump, the man who is uh, knows how to hire better than anyone, who knows how to extremely vet his people. Well, his uh, his new can- campaign chief. His new campaign CEO, according to The Guardian, is now in apparent violation of voting laws in the state of Florida. Yes, Ann Coulter's old uh, voter fraud stomping ground. Now Steve Bannon, 
appear, appears to have done something uh, similar. Donald, this is according to the uh, to the Guardian today. Donald Trump's new presidential campaign chief is registered to vote in a key swing state at an empty house where he does not live in an apparent breach of election law. Stephen Bannon, the uh, chief executive of Trump's election campaign, has an active voter registration at the House in Miami-Dade County, Florida, which is vacant and due to be demolished to make way for a new development. The owner of the House, Luis Guevara, said, quote, I have emptied the property. Nobody lives there. We are going to make a construction there, he said. Neighbors said the property has been abandoned for several several months, but Bannon uh, had formerly rented the house for use by his ex-wife, Diane Clohesi. Mind you, this is not the same ex-wife who he was charged with having uh, 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 battered, as we discussed in the, in the last segment. This was another ex-wife. So uh, he rented the house for Diane Clohesi, but he did not live there himself, Clohesi, a Tea Party activist, moved out of the House earlier this year. She has her own irregular voting registration arrangement as well. According to public records, Bannon and Clohesi divorced seven years ago. So I guess that was that divorce came after the other divorce that he was charged with uh, uh, battering his uh, his wife. Uh, Bannon previously rented another house for Clohesi in Miami from 2013 to 2015 and assigned his voter registration to that property during that period. But a source with direct knowledge of the rental agreement for that house told The Guardian that Bannon did not live at that one either, despite being registered there as well. Bannon Clohesi and Trump's campaign repeatedly declined to answer any detailed questions about Bannon's voting arrangements. Steve Bannon, as they note, is the executive chair of the uh, or he's now the the chair of the Trump campaign. He was the executive chairman of the right wing website Breitbart News, which has for years aggressively claimed that voter fraud is rife among minorities and in de uh, Democratic leaning areas. According to The Guardian, the allegation has been repeated forcefully on the campaign trail by Donald Trump, who has predicted that the election will be, quote, rigged and warned supporters that victory could be fraudulent, fraudulently, quote, taken away from us. We played uh, some of those clips. Desi, was it this week, last week? Have, has it all run together? At yes, this it point? all runs together in one remember big runny mess. One. It does, uh, which he said that uh, without these photo ID restrictions, which the courts are now knocking down because, in fact, they are purposely racially discriminatory and they purposely target African-Americans with nearly surgical precision, as the Fourth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals uh, found in late July concerning North Carolina's uh, photo ID restriction, uh, Donald Trump has been saying that people are going to go in and they're going to vote 10 times without these photo ID laws. They'll be able to just go in and vote over and over and over again, which, by the way, they can't. It has nothing to do with the photo ID, whether you can go in and vote over and over again. You can't. Um, but in any case, that's the case that Republicans have making. Uh, and now, as The Guardian is reporting, it is not clear that Bannon is actually entitled to vote in Florida. No, he is not. Under Florida law, voters must be legal residents of the state and of the county where they register to vote. Guidelines from the Florida Department of, uh, of State say that Florida courts 
and state authorities have defined legal residency as the place, quote, where a person mentally intends to make his or her permanent residence. Now, mind you, Bannon had registered at these two different uh, uh, residents in uh, Florida that so far nobody has uh, ever seen him actually living in. Willfully submitting false information on a Florida voter registration, as Ann Coulter also did, uh, or helping someone to do so, The Guardian reports, is a third-degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison. Election officials in Miami-Dade, the paper says, uh, make clear to prospective voters that they are required to actually live in the county and to use their home address in election paperwork. You must reside in Miami-Dade County, their website states, adding, when you register to vote, an actual residence address is required by law. Three neighbors said the house where Bannon is currently registered to vote has been abandoned for about three months. When The Guardian visited the property on Thursday of this week, a large window in the front uh, was missing. A soiled curtain was blowing through it. The driveway was a mess of tree, uh, tree branches and mud. Bannon never appeared at the house, according to the neighbors. One of them, uh, who lives next door, said Clohesi, the wife, the ex-wife, lived at the, at the house until early this year, and a man of... Uh, that a man of Latino appearance in his 20s uh, was the only male ever seen there. Ask whether a, a man uh, meeting Bannon's description had ever stayed at the house. Uh, that neighbor said no, that was uh, not that individual at all. The same arrangement was in place at the previous house that Clohesi lived in, in Miami. It was a $5,500 uh, per month rent was paid via Bannon's accountants in Beverly Hills out here in California. But, quote, he was never there, according to someone with direct involvement in the rental arrangement who requested anonymity for fear of repercussions from Bannon, who many people have described as uh, spiteful, angry, vindictive. Exactly. In my opinion, he was not living there, said this particular source who didn't want to put his name on record. He may come he, he maybe came around twice a year for a couple of days at best, but he did not live there. The source's account was supported by another neighbor. Uh, Bannon uh, owns no property in his own name in Miami-Dade, according to records that was uh, held by the Office of the County Propro uh, Property Appraiser. According to The Guardian, as recently as last week, Bannon was reported to be a resident of Laguna Beach in Orange County, California, where, according to public records, he owns a house. So he does own a house out here. Um, from October last year until he joined the Trump campaign this month, Bannon was uh, the lead presenter on a, on a Breitbart.com radio show on Sirius XM. A uh, spokesman for Sirius said that Bannon hosted the show live every day from Washington, D.C. or from New York. Records from uh, Orange County, California, uh, that would be Neil Kelly out here, state that uh, Bannon was registered to vote there in Orange County, California from the uh, 1980s until 2014 when he canceled his registration and began registering in Miami. He also co-owns a condominium in Los Angeles. He's known to stay at the so-called Breitbart Embassy, which is a luxurious $2.5 million townhouse uh, near the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., where his website's staff work from basement offices there. Uh, Bloomberg, <laughs> Bloomberg profile, sort of a sidebar here, a Bloomberg profile uh, published last October 
uh, stated that Bannon occupies, quote, occupies the townhouse and describes it as being, quote, his. But according to records at the D.C. Office of Tax Revenue, that uh, Breitbart house is actually owned by a guy named Mustafa El-Gindi, an Egyptian businessman and a former member of parliament uh, who has received favorable coverage from Breitbart News styling him as a, quote, senior statesman, but without any accompanying disclosure that he is the website's landlord. So they've written about him favorably, did not uh, disclose that uh, this Egyptian man uh, actually uh, owns the joint. Uh, As far as this uh, uh, voter fraud story goes, however, voter registration fraud story goes, neither Bannon uh, nor Clohesi, his ex-wife, responded to requests for comments for this article. But here's the thing, as The Guardian notes, and as I had to note back when I was covering Ann Coulter, voter fraud queen Ann Coulter, acquiring Florida residency is often attractive to outsiders to the state due to Florida's lack of state income tax. That's right. This allows people with a residency to legally avoid paying state income tax on so-called unearned income, such as dividends, interests, and retirement benefits. Perhaps book royalties. I don't know. Attorneys uh, often advise people seeking Florida residency that it helps to assign their voter registration to a property in the state. Which kind of seems exactly what Stephen K. Bannon, the uh, Trump CEO, the new Trump uh, chairman, Uh, For his presidential campaign, it kind of seems like that's what he was doing. We have evidence that he lived in California. We have evidence that he lives in uh, Washington, D.C., occasionally even in New York. But there seems to be no evidence that he lived in Florida where he was actually registered in two different places. And now he's heading up the Trump campaign, which is trying to stop you, dear Democrat, if you happen to be one, from being able to cast your vote at all. Unbelievable. I would say it's unbelievable, except I've been on this beat for so long. It's not unbelievable at all. It happens over and over and over again, particularly with Republicans. Uh, By the way, uh, Clohesi, uh, who has uh, worked as a conservative uh, film producer since the since her divorce with Bannon, has also uh, her own voting arrangement appears to contravene the law in Florida rather than register to vote from her rented home now in Miami. Uh, she uh, continues to be registered uh, to vote at a neighboring Broward County mailbox, a shipping facility in the city of Pompano Beach. The use of such mailbox addresses is not allowed by Broward County, which requires that residents use home addresses. Quote, you have to give the address where you live so you can't use a P.O. box, said Tanya Edwards, a spokesman, spokeswoman for the counter, county supervisor of elections in Broward County, Florida. But remember, Donald Trump is a great businessman. He only hires the best people. Uh, And, of course, when it comes to uh, immigrants, nobody knows how to vet like Donald Trump. Extreme, extreme vetting. But, yeah, it gets worse than that. A quick break, and we are back with more terrible hiring by Donald J. Trump even as he keeps you from being able to cast your vote. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Well, it's just it gets amazinger and amazinger as we go. So, okay, in addition, our, our last few minutes here uh, on today's broadcast, in addition to Steve Bannon, the former uh, Breitbart News Chief from the right-wing website, uh, being found to have had uh, domestic abuse charges against him in the past, uh, where he uh, uh, apparently, allegedly, according to his wife, in legal documents, uh, told her to uh, get the hell out of town so she couldn't testify against him for these abuses charges. Uh, in addition to that, and in addition to the fact that it appears that Steve Bannon has also committed either voter fraud or at least voter registration fraud in the state of Florida and perhaps tried to dodge uh, uh, taxes in the bargain in doing so, that's not all the bad news for uh, for Donald Trump, at least as far as I'm concerned. The uh, the great businessman uh, Donald Trump, who knows really, you know, hires the best people. By the way, and that was Bannon after he had already fired two previous campaign managers. Bannon is now his third. Well. In addition to that, Donald Trump, uh, TPM reports today, has hired a former top aide to New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who'd been caught up in the so-called Bridgegate scandal, to serve as his campaign's national field director, according to multiple reports. So uh, a guy by the name of Bill Stepien has now been uh, hired, or at least according to NBC News, is expected to help Trump coordinate voter turnout in the run-up to the November 8 election. The guy uh, who was uh, one of the guys uh, at the center of Chris Christie's Bridgegate scandal. Um, it, it transcripts this month, transcripts of a text message exchange between two Christie staffers were made public in which one is part of the, this case, this ongoing court case concerning Bridgegate. Uh, this exchange between two Christie staffers were made public in which one former staffer alleged that Chris Christie, the New Jersey governor, quote, flat out lied about senior staff and Bill Stepien not being involved in the Bridgegate scandal. That guy has now reportedly been hired to be uh, the campaign's national field director for Donald Trump. Josh Marshall uh, puts it this way over at TPM. In the novel we're currently living in, <laughs> 
This would be an unrealistic plot development. The editor would strike it from the narrative. But Donald Trump has no editor. So, yes, this is happening. Trump is hiring Bill Stepien, a central, directly implicated and almost immediately fired figure in the Christie Bridgegate scandal as his national field director. Yes, that's happening. Josh writes, and yes, you're supposed to have a national field director before late August. And quite possibly, yes, this means the Trump field campaign will focus on engineering a crippling Election Day traffic jam in every black neighborhood in the country. <laughs> That's where we are. That's where we are. Presidential election 2016. Uh, there was a lot of other stuff that actually that I had planned to get to today when this Bannon stuff showed up and sort of blew everything out of the water. We'll have to get to all of that. Uh, some of it, by the way, having to do with the right to vote, new court decisions. Uh, but I guess we will have to get to that in our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. I am grateful that you joined us for this one. And by the way, I'm grateful for those of you who, who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us do all that we do here on uh, on the Bradcast and that we have been doing for so many years at bradblog.com, so much of which comes into play every single day that we have to go back with today's story, that we have to go back to our reporting from uh, 2012 and 2010 and even farther back to Ann Coulter's voter fraud from way back in 2005. Uh, those of you who have uh, uh, supported our efforts at bradblog.com slash donate are to thank for that. So I thank you. Uh, thanks also uh, to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of our listeners. Yes, you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, Stop by bradblog.com where you can uh, download it for free. This show and every show that we do available for free there and at uh, iTunes or at your favorite podcast site or wherever. Um, so thank you. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And I'm on the Twitters and the Facebooks, at least when I'm not looking away, looking in the other direction. Uh, you can find me there at the Bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>